Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. We have been going through uh, the book of Daniel over the past few weeks, and as you saw from our reading today, we're up to a very interesting stage of the book of Daniel here, some interesting stuff coming along. Uh, To help set the scene before we jump into it, um, think about this. It's very easy for us to get overwhelmed in life by stuff. Uh, when circumstances and situations seem too big and crushing for us, it's like it's, and it seems like there's no way out, it becomes very crushing for us, it becomes very deflating for us. We can feel defeated, we can feel overcome by the situations and circumstances in life. But it's different though if we know what the end result is going to be. It's different then. If it's dark and heavy and hard and cloudy, but you know it's going to work out in the end, well then that gives you hope because you sort of know what the end goal is going to be, despite how dark and difficult it might be in the meantime. It actually gives you hope to carry on through the darkness and through the despair. Well, we're going to see the opening up here of a similar picture like that today in Daniel as he leads us into these closing chapters of this book. Uh, Come with me now to uh, Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 9 to 14, just following on from where Frankie read for us before. Starting in verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair uh, hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time." I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." Father, we thank you now that we can come to these uh, final chapters of Daniel. We ask and pray, Holy Spirit, help us through what is some very tricky, challenging passages of Scripture here, which can seem like it's very hard to understand. Lord, I pray, please give us understanding. Let your Spirit come now and open our eyes up to see the wonder and the beauty of Christ, the Son of Man, given all dominion and authority over every king and kingdom. We ask that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I can tell you when I first started preparing for this series on Daniel, which was a few months ago, I sort of thought, well, Daniel 7 to 12 is pretty hard. Maybe we might just pull up at the end of Daniel chapter 6 and leave it at that. There's some great stories there, as we've seen over the past six weeks here looking at Daniel. Maybe we could just leave it there and we don't need to go into Daniel 7 and 12. But the more I studied and the more I prepared, the more I felt the Lord sort of compelling me to go through the whole book and not just to pull up stumps, as it were, in chapter 6. It is God's word. Uh, It's all of scripture is profitable for us to hear from and to learn from. 
And the more I looked in here, the more I could see really good stuff in these final closing chapters of Daniel. And after all, what are we? We are disciples of Jesus, if you're trusting in Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And the word disciple means you're a learner. We're learning. We're being taught from God's word. So what better place to come to but God's word to be taught? We're learning about who he is. We're learning about ourselves. We're learning about what God's doing in this world. We're learning about how Jesus has saved us and how the Holy Spirit's transforming us. We're learning all these things as we open up God's word and allow that to speak into our hearts and lives. But in the face of learning, we live in a challenging age. We actually live in a more of a screen-driven entertainment world these days with endless videos Instagram reels, Snapchat stories and YouTube grabs that are just constantly feeding into our lives in so many different directions. That's a challenge for us because sometimes we lose the ability what it is to learn, to think, to comprehend and then to meditate upon that and to seek what can I see out of this. But as disciples, the Holy Spirit engages our minds. We're not meant to be sort of just screen driven all the time. We're meant to actually think Holy Spirit engage their minds to listen and to learn so that we'll think differently about God, think differently about this world, think differently about ourselves. We're called to listen and to learn and comprehend what the Holy Spirit's telling us and teaching us through the Bible so that we'll grow in our faith in the biggest story of our lives, God's story. So we want to do that as we come into these last chapters of Daniel here. We want to try and work out what God's trying to tell us in these strange chapters. I'm not sure what you did when you've gone through your Bible reading. You've got to Daniel 7 and 12. Did you read through that or did you actually stop at Daniel chapter 6 and skip over and go to the next book? It's a bit of a challenge. Now we have some strange visions as Frankie read there before. It's nearly full of like Hollywood designed special effects stuff and you're trying to imagine what these beasts and horned things are doing coming out of this stormy sea. Probably you might think is that better suited for the next Marvel movie where Thor and the Dream Team can come out and actually sort of take out this you know battle of the gods if you sort of think what's going on there. Well it's a bit like that. But here's where we're going to head, though, as we think about Daniel's chapter 7 and 8 today, and it's this. Evil rulers and evil power structures will rise up against God and his people, but they cannot and they will not prevail. Just like this fly is not going to prevail above me in a manner as well. I'll take it out too. Evil powers and evil structures will rise up against God and his people, but they cannot and they will not prevail. Let's jump in here and see what's happening in these final chapters of Daniel. What Daniel shares with us now are visions, visions that he's received from the Lord. And as I said, these visions are pretty wild in their imagery. They perhaps even seem more like nightmares to Daniel. I think the way he responds, they are some sort of a nightmare that he receives at this time. We call this vivid imagery here with beasts and sort of mythological type sort of animals apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic literature. You might think, what the heck is all that about? Well, we'll unpack that for the next couple of minutes. This highly symbolic writing first came onto the scene around about the time of the exile of Israel. And we can see pockets of this apocalyptic literature in the book of Ezekiel, Mark's Gospel, Thessalonians as well. And also we see a very full account of it in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It's a different style of literature. 
Here's what Andrew Reid, a Bible commentator, says about apocalyptic literature. He says this, Daniel 7 is markedly different from chapters 1 to 6. It is part of a style of literature which began to appear around about the time of the exile and which continued through to the New Testament. Called apocalyptic by biblical scholars, it was a literature composed in or for times of trial as a kind of private comfort for believers. It was written with the realisation that things are not always right on earth, that the people of God are not always victorious and kept safe. Well, he's right. Every victory here on earth doesn't necessarily happen with us as believers. We have a final victory, which we'll see that, and it's not always going to be safe, and we all live happily ever after on this earth for believers. So this apocalyptic literature is written here to bring comfort to believers understanding this. This is exactly where Israel was at this particular time. They're in exile. They're under a foreign pagan world superpower that doesn't recognise the Lord as the supreme creator. They're in exile. There were little pockets here and there of kings who had a revelation of God But that didn't seem to last too long. We saw that with Nebuchadnezzar and we saw that with Darius as well. It didn't actually seem to make long-lasting effect here on those peoples at the time. Israel's been crushed by Babylon. That meant that their hopes and their dreams, even for the here and now, were gone and it was probably replaced by fear and anxiety as they actually uh, experienced this Babylonian conquest and the ongoing kingdoms coming through as well. So now Daniel receives these dreams in apocalyptic style here from the Lord, which portrays this struggle between good and evil, between the Lord and the kings and the power structures of this world. He receives now this vision, as it were, ultimately to bring comfort to the people. Here's what Daniel sees. He's asleep. He has this dream with the winds of heaven, as it were, stirring up this colossal storm at sea. Now, that in itself is meant to stir up sort of fear and helplessness with us, this boiling, seething ocean, this massive ocean, stormy on every account. And then out of this stormy ocean, what Daniel sees is four different beasts which begin to emerge out of this stormy ocean. The first beast is a lion that has eagle's wings attached to it. These eagle eagle wings are then plucked off And then the lion, as it were, stands like a man. That's what uh, Daniel sees. The second beast he sees after this following is a bear that has these three ribs in its mouth. It's there to signify that it devours all that goes before it. Nothing can overcome this bear. And then a third beast rises out of this stormy sea. It's like a leopard and it's got four wings and four heads with are given with dominion and power given to this leopard beast as well. Horns, wings and foreheads. There's a fourth beast that comes out of this vision that Daniel sees here as well. This one, we're not really told what it looks like. We're given no real description of this fourth beast other than to say this beast is terrifying. This beast is frightening and powerful beyond belief. That's all we can see and we're told about that. It has these iron teeth, this beast that Daniel sees, to devour its prey with, stamping and crushing on anything in its path. 
giving this terrifying effect here uh, of this beast. And it also has ten horns growing out of the top of this beast. Now, let me give you a word of advice if you're a parent. That's probably not a bedtime story you want to tell your kids just before you go to bed. Let's open up Daniel chapter 7 and read about the first few. No, I wouldn't probably go there at this point in time. It's frightening scenes and it's meant to evoke, evoke some sort of fright within us as we do that. And look, let's think about how Daniel processed it when he woke up. In Daniel 7.28 he says here, is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my colour changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Well, I'm sure we all get that with Daniel, don't we? Terrifying stuff. Greatly alarmed me and my colour changed. It doesn't end in Daniel chapter 7 with these visions. A few years later, he has another vision into chapter 8. Now, just a helpful here, guys, um, we do send an email out every Friday for the pre-reading of the service. So if you're not on that email, please come and see us. We'll put you on that because it really helps to read the chapters before we get there. So we're going to only skim through this. Chapter 8, he has another vision. Uh, this is not a dream, okay? This is actually a vision, so he's, he's fully awake, but he sees this vision. Uh, he's standing beside a canal in the city of Susa, uh, and the Lord shows Daniel another scene this time. This time he sees a ram standing by this canal here in the city of Susa and this ram has been charging all over the place, smashing and conquering all in its past, path, east, west, all over, everywhere. This ram was powerful and unstoppable in Daniel's vision here. But now it's standing beside this canal in Susa and Daniel's getting this picture of that. But in the same moment, Daniel sees another animal coming. This time it's a goat, uh, sorry, a ram. And this ram now is charging at full pace, flat out, top gear, pedal to the metal, smashing and conquering all in its path. And this ram charges, sorry, goat, this goat. This goat, not the ram, this goat smashes, because no, the ram was, no. This goat, this goat smashes into the ram, and this ram is helpless against this uh, goat that comes at it. This goat consumes and takes all power from this ram. And then we're told that the goat is cut down in its prime, with four other little horns, as it were, rising up in its place from this big horn that was in the goat. And out of these four horns, another little horn rises to prominence and becomes extremely powerful as well. And again, if you get to the end of chapter 8, Daniel is overwhelmed and physically exhausted as he processes this vision that he's seen. In summary form, what has Daniel seen between Daniel's chapter 7 and 8? Well, on one hand, he's seen this, that things are very frightening. And disturbing, to say the least, as Daniel's reactions to these things are. It's frightening, it's disturbing. With these goats, these rams, these visions of beasts, it disturbs him. But let's remember, it's apocalyptic writing that Daniel's using at this time. And one of the important things with apocalyptic writing is, and when we try to understand what's happening here, is not to drill too far into what all these symbolic beasts, rams, goats may possibly be or what they may mean. You see, as soon as we move down the path of trying to pinpoint exactly what this goat or this ram or these things possibly are and get every last detail in place, 
we can move very quickly into speculation and imagination with very little foundation to sit underneath that. But having said that, we are actually given some interpretation in these couple of chapters here uh, what these things really are, what these beasts, rams and goats are. So there are a few things that we can add here as we think about what is all this trying to tell us today. Well, in this vision, in this dream, in both chapters 7 and chapters 8, there are angelic beings that are nearby that are able to communicate with Daniel some meaning here behind some of these animals, some of these beasts, some of these things that are uh, taking place. Daniel chapter 7, verse 17, we see an angelic being here that tells us that these beasts are representative of kings. It says this, These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So these beasts are human kings, human kingdoms, or human power structures, strong and powerful, as we see them um, signified there by these beasts. Then in 7 verse 25, we are told that one of these kings will oppose God and his people. It says that there. He shall speak words against the Most High, so speaking words against God, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, as, in other words as it were, overcome the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. And again, if you go to uh, chapter 8, verse 15 to 27, which we're not going to have today, but if you can go back and look at that if you haven't read, the angel Gabriel also gives understanding here for the ram and the goat, the ram beside the canal and the goat that charges at the ram, The ram, he is told there, is the Medes, Persian king and kingdom. And the goat, we're told in chapter 8, is the king of Greece. Which history would tell us, with the benefit of hindsight, the history would tell us that this king we're talking about in Greece is Alexander the Great. Who's started history before? Heard of Alexander the Great? A few hands there have gone up. We would say that is Alexander the Great, and from him comes four smaller kings. And then out of these four small kings out of Alexander the Great, one will arise as an arrogant, powerful king amongst those four. So let's try and piece some of this mystery together to see what Daniel has seen and what we can now see with hindsight, given the interpretation that's been given to Daniel as he thinks about what's happening in these chapters. The first beast, the lion, the one with the eagle's wings that was plucked off and then was able to stand on two feet and given the mind of a man, that's King Nebuchadnezzar, say all the biblical scholars. He was plucked off, his powers were taken when he became reduced to an ox, as we saw that a few weeks ago, and he was able to stand on his two feet and he was given the mind of a man. And we saw him come back to his uh, sanity as a man and no longer as an ox, but a very powerful king in the Babylonian Empire. Second beast we've already seen there is the Medes, Persians. They were the next kingdom to uh, to conquer the uh, Babylonian kingdom. And the third beast is Alexander the Great from Greece who controlled the known world at that time around 340 BC. This is following one kingdom, follows another kingdom, follows another kingdom. If you know anything about Alexander the Great, he died at the peak of his powers. He's only 33 years old, but he conquered the known world. The Greek kingdom just covered everything. 
he actually distributed his kingdom into four kings and broke up his kingdom that way and it went on for the next couple of hundred years in that particular format. The fourth beast, it's a bit tricky for us to pinpoint exactly who this fourth beast. And remember, because it's apocalyptic literature, it's really hard for us to know exactly what that's going to be and we don't have to find out the name of every last symbol or beast. But the biblical scholars potentially point this way for this fourth beast, given they've given us some help on the, on the first three. The fourth one, they say, possibly could be the Roman Empire, so that comes after the Greek Empire, or it could be a person by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Has anybody heard of that name before? There's a few names going up. Or, or one of the rulers who sprung up out of Alexander the Great's four generals. He wasn't one of the four generals, but he came up beyond that about a hundred or so years later. Or the fourth beast could be a power structure that we don't yet know and maybe has not yet come. We can't be 100% certain on that. We don't know for sure, and it's really okay if we don't know for sure either. Now, you might be stopping here and saying, Todd, history, 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 what, what is all the best? What's the point of all this? Well, God's trying to tell us something here, and we need to hear it. We need to listen. In this world, in this world, there will be people and power structures that will rise up against God and his people and they'll do horrific things. That's what Daniel's seeing here. Evil power structures and kings and kingdoms will rise up against God and against his people and they will do terrible things. If you do any sort of Google search on Antiochus Epiphanes, he is one of those kings who rose up against God and his people and did terrible things. He smashed Jerusalem in 167 BC. Inside the temple, the temple that Solomon built, he set up inside that temple an altar to Zeus, the Greek god, and he brought a pig in and sacrificed the pig on that altar. Now, if you know anything about Jewish food laws, pigs are an unclean animal. So that was a direct affront on the Jewish religion by bringing this pig in and sacrificing it on the altar. They call that the abomination of desolation as you read through the Bible. He also did this. If baby boys were circumcised according to Jewish custom, Antiochus Epiphanes had both the mother and the baby boy executed on the spot in a direct affront to Jewish law and to the worship of their God. Evil kings, evil kingdoms doing terrible things, pushing against God and uh, killing God's people. We still have the same today. Not quite as bad as Antiochus Epiphanes here in Australia, maybe in other places like that. But we still have people and power structures that are opposed to God and his people. We have a recent Premier in Victoria who's only resigned this week who has allowed wholesale murdering of babies and abortion. He's allowed those laws to go through. Not only that, this Premier has banned people from praying with others to help them through their sexual gender brokenness. Not allowed to do that. I have to be careful in some ways and, and on how I work with some people because of the laws of this Premier that he's put in place. He's also curtailed freedom of speech laws. He's also introduced a gender ideology that is causing 
untold damage to our children and teenagers. We have power structures that are still pushing back against God and pushing back against God's people. We have totalitarian governments in China and North Korea and Afghanistan and other places as well that are a bit like Antiochus Epiphanes. They are killing and persecuting Christians wholesale. In China, there are many churches that are being bulldozed by by the government there, just bulldozing and knocking over the churches. We do not want this church to be in this city. We have Russia ruthlessly invading Ukraine in a grab for power and land domination again, pushing back against God's good commandments and God's laws for this world. What is this? Well, it can be disturbing for us. Disturbing for Christians to see and witness this. To even try and exist in that can be disturbing and difficult and hard. And as we understand the Bible, we know, will things get better or things get worse? Well, we know things will get worse. The Bible informs us of that. Anti-God activity will increase into the future. It can seem like things are out of control with these godless power structures continuing to crush and, and push back against God and to sort of constrain God's people. Well, this is what has been communicated here to Daniel. This is what he's communicating to us as we think about these beasts and these power structures and what they're doing. But that's not all Daniel saw in this vision. He saw something else which is incredibly important. He saw a big picture from another perspective as he had these visions and dreams. There's another throne. There's another power structure here that's giving us another story altogether. Come with me now and have a look at this in chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. As I looked, this is Daniel having another vision or another dream at this point. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Talk about an awe-inspiring scene. Think about that. That sort of stuff is meant to make your hair, as it were, stand on end on the back of your neck. Now, that's where I would like to see Hollywood do justice to a scene of the Bible, to pick up something like that. But they probably never could to, to give us that awe, but it would be just simply amazing. In this vision that Daniel's seen lying on his bed at night amongst this dark, stormy sea, evil, ugly, terrifying beast coming out of this seething, boiling mass of water, Daniel has this other vision, this other glimpse, this other thing that he sees. And when you think about what we've just read there in those couple of verses, it's like this blazing light appears out of the darkness when you see what's been happening around him. And then this vision appears and it just stands out like this blazing spotlight amongst all this seething mass of evil and ugliness. Here's the scene. The thrones are placed. There's millions upon millions upon millions of people, not just a handful, we're talking millions here, that are gathered before this throne. 
And in walks one, the Ancient of Days. And what does he do? He takes the seat of ultimate power. He takes the seat that is above every other seat. He takes the throne and he sits there upon it. The heavenly court is now in sitting. The books are opened. Every king, every kingdom will be brought to account before this ancient of days. Nothing has escaped his notice. He's seen everything. And this throne sits above every other throne. Here's the thing to see with these final chapters of Daniel. Chapters 7 to 12 all pivot around these verses here between 9 and 14. There's lots of dark stuff happening all around 7 and 12, but it's all meant to sit around these handful of verses here between 9 and 14 with the Ancient of Days holding this throne above every other throne. But Daniel sees something else. He sees something else. He sees what the Ancient of Days does, and he sees now one who appoints... He appoints all authority to, from this ancient of days, to be the ultimate king for his people. Have a look in verses 13 and 14. And Daniel sees it again. He says here, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, this is the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion, this is the Son of Man's dominion now, is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Another awful vision here of this follow-on of this Ancient of Days who's taken his seat on this throne which is above every other throne but in walks the Son of Man now. And he's presented all the authority and the dominion the Ancient of Days has given him. And think about it. This kingdom will never be destroyed, we're told. Nebuchadnezzar, come and gone. Darius, come and gone. Medes, Persians, come and gone. Alexander the Great, come and gone. Antiochus Epiphanes, maybe, come and gone. Our Premier this week, resigned. They're there for a time, but not this Son of Man. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. Again, it's an awe-filled picture for us to see this. And we're meant to be inspired by that. It's meant to actually fill us with adoration and praise as we see this Son of Man receive this dominion from the Ancient of Days. Well, who is the Son of Man? Who is the Son of Man? In the New Testament... Jesus Christ himself speaks of the Son of Man more than 70 times referring to himself, making it crystal clear who the Son of Man is. It's not a mystery. It's right there for us. Jesus is the Son of Man that the Ancient of Days gives this eternal dominion to. Have a look what he says in Mark chapter 10. For even who? The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's a different king. He is a different king. 
All the other kings wanted to be served. But this king comes to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. What are we to see here? We're to see this. The Ancient of Days, the Lord God Almighty, has sent his son to be the king that we all long for, the king that we can trust, the king that we can depend on, the king who rules in power, the king who has all the dominion and authority of that throne that sits above every other throne, who does this through grace and truth, the king also who rules in justice and in holiness. What is Daniel telling us here? Despite all the evil people and the evil power structures and the evil kings we may see around us, there is one who sits on the throne and he ultimately rules. He ultimately rules. When it's confusing and it's painful, the Son of Man sits on the throne. When it seems out of control and it's crushing for us, the Son of Man sits on the throne. When we can't see our way forward because of fear and doubt coming in at all angles to me, Daniel wants us to see the Son of Man, Jesus, sovereignly sitting and ruling and doing all things according to the counsel of his will. And he will not pass away. He is there for eternity. And what does Jesus call us to do today? To surrender our lives to his glorious kingship and to trust him as this everlasting king. You see, here's one of the potential things that comes out of looking at these evil power structures and and, uh, evil kings and, and kingdoms around us. It's fear. It's fear. Fear is a killer for us. Uh, These worldly power structures can overwhelm us in fear of of how bad things will get. Will will this ever end? Is it going to be stricter laws? Is it going to be harder? You know, who's going to come next? Is is it going to be crushing even further for us? Fear can grip our hearts. How do you deal with that fear? How do you deal with that anxiety? How do you deal with that when you begin to see that? Well, we need to do what Daniel has done. We need to see something else. We've got to see Jesus, the Son of Man who sits on that throne, who loves us more than we could ever imagine, has shown that love for us at the cross. He's the king who dies for us. He's the king who actually comes to serve us. He's the king who's got the eternal kingdom. We see that and that gives us hope here and now, just no matter how dark it might be. And more than that, God also gives us the presence of his son through his Holy Spirit living within us. So in those dark times of darkness and those times of fear, I don't have to crumble in fear. I've got the big picture of the Ancient of Days giving this dominion to the Son of Man and this Son of Man now lives in me by his Spirit. And I receive that by trusting in who Christ is and what he's done for me. So we step into these chapters. They may seem dark, and they're meant to be, but there's meant to be this powerful blaze of light filling Daniel chapter 7 and 12 as well with this Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, giving us the hope to overcome this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you today that we come now, we see these final chapters of Daniel, Lord. Daniel's disturbed, his colours changed, he is greatly perplexed. 
God, we thank you today that you've given us the big vision. You've given us the big picture. You've given us your son who's come and rescued and saved us, who now is our king. He will not be like these other kings that have come and gone in their evil reigns. He's the eternal king. God, I pray, let your spirit open up the eyes of our heart today to see this glorious king and his kingdom that will never end, that gives us hope here and now, that no matter how dark it gets or how challenging it gets or who might be the next uh, leader who might arise to push back against you or to try and crush us as your people, we have a firm hope that deepens our convictions, Lord, to stay true to you because of the glorious strength you've given to us through Jesus. Well, today we know we serve a risen King who's overcome death and sin on our behalf. Help us to grasp that today, I pray. Let your spirit work that in our hearts as we work through these final chapters of Daniel. Father, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well. Thank you.